morning to the book of Judges. Judges in the Old Testament. Chapter 6. And we'll read that in a few minutes. I began a series actually several years ago, and I think this is probably the second or third time we've come around and shared it. It's called The Four F's. And there is a basic formula for living a successful life with God. It's a wonderful pattern repeated throughout the Bibles. I call it the four F's. These are essential laws found throughout Scripture that are always working in the lives of people who know God and who walk with Him. And the four F's are fellowship, focus, function, and fruit. They always work together and they always build on one another. And the four F's basically are how you walk with God. When you learn and you incorporate the four F's into your life, they pull together everything the Bible says about knowing and walking with God into an actual functioning life that you can do. And so the four F's are how you can live deliberately rather than by accident. What is focus? Fellowship, focus, function, and fruit. In the 1970s TV classic, Kung Fu, the old karate master had a young protege who he called, anyone remember what David Carradine's name was? Grasshopper. Young Grasshopper, Young Grasshopper. So he calls his protege, Young Grasshopper, and in training him to master the martial arts, he gives him this fundamental rule for success when he says, focus, Grasshopper, focus. Progress in life requires focus. Divert focus and you stop progress, you defeat life. If you found that scripture in Judges, chapter 6, we're going to jump in at the story of God meeting Gideon for the first time before he raises him up as the mighty man of valor who delivers Israel from the invading armies of the Midianites. We'll begin in verse 11. Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press in order to save it from the Midianites. Now, if you could just pause for a moment and get a picture of what's happening. The Midianites have invaded Israel and they are now occupying the land. The Israelites are basically a subjected people. And so whatever the Midianites want, they just take from the Israelites because they are occupying the land. And uh, Gideon is in this thing called a wine press, which if you can visualize it, it's like a gigantic wooden barrel that they put the grapes in and then stomp on the grapes and press the grapes. So he's down inside of this thing hiding. But what he's doing in there is he's, he's found a little wheat and he's got the wheat down in this thing and he's pounding it probably with some kind of a tool or a stone and he's, he's beating the wheat to try to get some flour to take home and make some food. So the Bible says that Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press in order to save it from the Midianites when the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, now again, he's out in this wine press, he's bent down, I see the angel of the Lord kind of getting up on his 
and looking down over. So if you can picture it, the Lord's sort of like, hey, what you doing down there? Looking over at Gideon. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. So then Gideon said to him, O Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles that our fathers told us about? And the Lord looked at him and said, Go, in this your strength, and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? And he said to him, Gideon says to the Lord, O Lord, how can I deliver Israel? Look at my family. They are the, the smallest, the least family in the small little tribe of Manasseh, and I'm the youngest in my father's house. But the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat Midian as though they were just one man. Before God could use Gideon to deliver Israel, he had to change the man's focus. Have you ever noticed that when God shows up and has a conversation with you, and you're trying to let him know how bad things are, he seems to not pay attention? It's like, did you hear what I said? He, he doesn't seem to be aware of all the problems that you and I are living under. Gideon felt that way, but God saw a great mission, a great plan that he had for this man. This man who in his own eyes was, was really unqualified to do anything. Um, so the first thing God has to do before this man can be raised up to deliver Israel is he's got to change the man's what? His focus. Focus, grasshopper. God has progress that he wants us to make focus. But Gideon, like all of us, had to first become converted to God's perspective before God could work with him to intervene in his circumstances. So as we're reading and talking about Gideon, and later we're going to talk for a few minutes about Peter, but really you could pick any of these characters in the Bible because all of them are us. And, and I think that's why God used people like this. And so God has to first turn Gideon's perspective before he can work to intervene in his circumstances. Now, I hope you caught that because that means that God doesn't just kick the door in, barge onto the scene in our life, and start straightening everything out, changing all the circumstances. What he does is he knocks on the door of our heart and he seeks to have a relationship with us and that becomes the beginning point for affecting our circumstances. He must first affect us. So he's first got to get our attention, focus, grasshopper. And if you remember when Jesse was up here preaching a couple weeks ago, he preached on what? Focus. That was prophetic. The fact that the Lord had him speak. So, this means that God has to turn Gideon away from his defeated outlook on himself and on his circumstances, and he needs to refocus him onto God's perspective of who Gideon is. 
Now remember, God meets Gideon, and he's scared out of his mind. He's frantically trying to beat this wheat and run home with a little bit of flour so that they can eat something before the Midianites steal it from them. And the Lord says, Hail, mighty man of valor, the Lord is with you. And so that's God's perspective. That's how God sees Gideon. And that's what he calls him. That's what he says to him. But I want you to understand that even though God has all power, he has set up a specific order of authority over the earth. And everything flows up and down that chain of command. So God must get people to cooperate with him for his authority to work in them. That chain of command, we see that in Genesis chapter 1. God makes the heavens and the earth. On the sixth day, he creates mankind. He creates man. And the Bible says he puts man over the work of his hands. And he says, you and I have a relationship. You are under my authority. In fact, man was actually created with the breathed out authority of God. God rolls up some red clay out of the ground, but it's not a man yet. It's just a rolled up lump of clay that looks a lot like a body. But the Bible says that God breathes. And as he breathes, he speaks. It's as though he is speaking and breathing into that clay and it animates. It becomes alive. So God breathes the breath of life into man. And so man is literally created with and by the authority of God. And so when he sets him over this special place that he's made for him called the garden, he says, now this is your place and the whole earth is your place. And he tells man, rule and reign over it. So God's chain of command is God is in all authority. And directly under him is the is the mankind, the image and likeness of God that is an extension of his authority. And then under man is circumstances, circumstances. So that is the chain of authority as God first set it up. Now, let's talk for a moment about circumstances. And um, let me just give you a working definition. Circumstances comes from two words, circum, which means basically around, and stances, if you take a stance or a stand. So stances is where you stand, and circum is around you, where you stand. So basically, circumstances are the conditions around where you are standing. Now, as long as man remained under fellowship with God, circumstances remained under man's authority. You see, that was the chain of command that God had created. The earth is under man's authority and God gave him a mission, increase and spread the garden and cover the whole earth and lord over it. Well, that, uh, that mission didn't last very long and things got messed up with something that we just come up with a simple little word, sin, but it's so powerful because basically what it really means, it is when man decided that God wasn't telling him the truth the devil came and lied to him, and he believed that lie. Well, God's keeping something from you. There's, there's more out there. You can eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and God knows you'll be as smart as God. And 
You know, so the minute you start letting the devil talk to you, you know, all of a sudden you just become aware of all these desires and appetites that, ooh, you know, that looks pretty good. Um, so at any rate, what happens is man forfeits and he gives up his fellowship with God. It moves him now in the chain of command. He breaks his relationship with God and he loses his position of authority and now he slips beneath the power of circumstances. So he goes from being under the authority of God to falling under the power of circumstances. So now that order has been changed. God sits in the authority of the heavenlies. But between him and man is a firmament called the circumstances. And we look up but we see the circumstances, we don't see God. And so circumstances for us, from our pers perspective, define what life is. And we have to try to see God through our circumstances. And it's no wonder that people have such a negative view of God because they see everything through the conditions of life around them. Can you say amen? So out from under fellowship with God, Man is now in fellowship with his circumstances. Can I say that? Would that be, would you buy into that? Man is in fellowship with his circumstances. I'm going to fellowship with some lunch after this <laughs> service this morning. So, you know, and then that's just the way it is. We have, uh, we're slaves to our environment. But it wasn't originally like that. And when Jesus Christ came into the world, that was essentially what the redemption was all about was to restore the order that had flipped and reversed and bring us back into communion with him. Remember, common union? And that would bring us back into direct relationship with God's authority and put circumstances under our authority. So, but it's not like that now. We are, we, I speak for humanity Always wanted to say that. Um, <laughs> figuratively speaking for humanity, we are under the circumstances. But because Satan is now embedded in the world's circumstances, um, the circumstances of the world have a kind of blinding influence over people when they look up, as I said, and try to see God. So focus became the first casualty of broken fellowship with God. The first thing we lost when we fell out of fellowship was our ability to focus because we are now in fellowship with our circumstances. That's really what we see. Have you ever noticed that if you're praying or you're reading the scriptures, it's like, I, I just can't get this. I can't focus on it. I, I'm reading this thing in the gospel and it's talking about how Jesus turned water into wine, did all this, and I'm, I'm trying to get my mind around it. I can't get it. But then the phone rings, you know, or you hear something, a, your favorite commercial from the other room on the television. It's like, oh, your mind immediately leaps and grabs hold of that. And it's like you, you're there trying to have your devotional time with God and your foot's tapping and you're singing that fav your favorite uh, you know, progressive insurance commercial song, jingle or whatever. And you know, oh, I just love those caveman commercials. And you go running into the other room. We identify with our circumstances. We're dominated by them. We understand them. We connect with them. 
So like Gideon, people are fixated on their circumstances. And they don't believe God even when he's right in front of them talking to them because they can't see him. You know, they don't really hear him even though he's talking. That's just like Gideon. That's what was happening to Gideon. He didn't understand what in the world God was talking about. So when people think about their lives, they define their existence in terms of their circumstances rather than in terms of what God has created them to be. They don't even know what God's created them to be. And sadly enough, that's the case with most Christians as well. People have been saved 1, 2, 3, 10, 20, 30 years, still really not sure who they are in God. The various purposes or gifts that God has brought into their life. Instead, if you ask them who they are, they'll start, they'll start talking about their circumstances or the job that they do or the responsibilities they have or their, their, their um, hobbies or their interests because that's who people see themselves as being. So we, we define our life according to our circumstances. We definitely do not have God's focus. If we had God's focus, we would talk like John the Baptist. Why did John the Baptist, when they asked him, the Pharisees asked him, they saw him baptizing, and they said, well, who are you? Uh, give an account of who you are. And John the Baptist immediately, without even waiting for a moment, he quotes the verse out of Isaiah, and he says, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make way for the Lord and make straight paths for your feet. He did not have a focus problem. John the Baptist had focus. He knew who he was. He knew what his mission was. He knew him because he knew it because he knew who God was. How did he know that? Now I'm not suggesting we go find a desert and go live in it, but the man did spend his entire adult life out in the wilderness. There were no distractions. He was not defined by any of the cultural things that the people going into those waters of baptism lived under in oppression every single day. So that's why Gideon basically says to God, what are you talking about? What you're saying about me can't possibly be right. Have you seen my family history? Do you know who I am? Do you know who my family is? And I'm the, I'm the runt. I'm the least in my family. But notice that when God meets Gideon, he says, Hail, mighty man of valor. Now, God's usually not wrong. In fact, in fact if you ever find a verifiable incident where God is wrong. Now, I know some of you married people may want to approach me after the service and say, I have a couple of examples of when God's been wrong, but you may not be able to put forth a convincing argument that God was actually wrong. Usually the problem is we slip out of focus. We stop being who God's called us to be. And then, of course, you go back to being the man or woman of circumstances. So, but at any rate, even though God knows what he has invested in Gideon, Gideon is not aware of it. Gideon's not aware of what God has put in him. So, 
God has to first get Gideon to focus before God can raise him up into the mighty man of valor that he says he already is. Now, folks, if you don't get anything else, grab this. If you're you're a note taker, take this down as notes. Gideon was the mighty man of valor the whole time he was complaining to God. The whole time he couldn't see what God was talking about. The whole time he thought, this, if this is the angel of God, we're in bigger trouble than what we think. He doesn't even know what a loser I am. But the fact is, the whole time he has that perspective, he actually is the mighty man of valor. He just hasn't functioned in that identity yet. But that's who he is. And God's going to bring him up into that that person that he truly is. In fact, the man, the woman that God has called you to be is sitting in you right now. You may or may not be aware of it. You may or may not have really allowed that person to rise up in you, but it's there and it always will be and God will always be trying to get your focus and bring you in to that person. So he was the mighty man of valor the whole time he was complaining to God, but it would take focus for him to function in it. Remember, fellowship, focus, function, and then fruit. So where does focus come from? God introduced himself to Gideon that day. And through Jesus, God has introduced himself to you. And when you listen to God like Gideon did, focus becomes God's first gift to you. We say, oh man, I had my eyes open. That's focus. The Lord began to show me. That's focus. God's first gift to you is focus because everything that is progress in your life is invested in that focus. And the devil knows, divert you from that focus Shut down that aperture so that you can't focus and you will not be able to move forward and progress into that person who is the mighty man of valor. He doesn't have to defeat the mighty man of valor. He just defeats your vision. He just defeats your focus. He just gets you to, you know, uh, pay more attention to the world, to your problems, to other people than you do to him. So focus is God's gift to you. And basically, focus is the window of heaven that can turn the history of the world. And it's happened a few times. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, beginning in verse 41, there's the story of when Jesus stands on the hill overlooking Jerusalem. And it says that when Jesus approached the city of Jerusalem, he wept over it, saying, If you had only known on this day, even you, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and surround you and close you in on every side. And they will demolish you, you and your children, within your walls, and they will not leave within you one stone upon another, because... You did not recognize the time of your visitation from God. You wouldn't focus when God was standing in front of you, talking to you. 
And of course, that happened 40 years later, 37, 38, 39, 40 years later, when the emperor Trajan sent his legions to surround Jerusalem, laid siege to the city, and when they were all finished, not one stone was left upon another. Everyone was wiped out or dispersed. The religious leaders of Jesus' day stubbornly refused to focus when God spoke directly to them. And as a result, not only did they miss the blessings of God's visitation, but they swerved right into destruction and took down the whole nation with them. Being out of focus is dangerous. No matter what level your leadership is in this life, whether you're leading your children whether you're leading some of your friends, or whether you're leading a nation, there are terrible consequences to being out of focus with God. So that's a warning for us today. Every generation, in fact, has to learn from themselves that true national security, true social rest, and true security for communities comes from seeking focus from God. Without it, every generation just falls backwards into the same blind spots of their forefathers, and history just keeps repeating itself. That is the pattern that drives the news cycles today. I turn on the news, I watch it, and I think, well, God, they're doing the same dumb stuff they were doing 20 years ago, 40 years ago, 70, 100. You can just read it in the pages of history. Around the merry-go-round they go. Why? No focus. They lack focus. Lacking focus at critical times has put many of God's people on the wrong side of history. The mess that people end up in by choosing the wrong side or being in the wrong place at the wrong time, we tend to have these kind of quesarasara rationalizations for why we end up in the messes, in the and the wrong side of town when the riot breaks out, or how come I walked into this situation, I wasn't planning on it. But the fact is, a lack of focus is usually the answer. And like I said, many Christians, many of God's people, end up on the wrong side of history because they weren't focusing when God was trying to talk to them before everything started to go south. The generations of the 20th century that many of you were born and grew up into learned that socialism and communism are failed ideologies designed to rob freedom, enslave people, and killed 100 million people in the 20th century. But today... A whole new out-of-focus generation can't wait to tear off into socialism and eventually communism and repeat it all over again. Why? No focus. They're out of focus. They're living under their circumstances. It's not just the world. When the church goes through periods of compromise with sin, wandering in the desert, and then they eventually repent, God restores their focus, and they walk out of their spiritual bondage right back into his grace and right back into his power. We call this revival. Amen. 
But then only one or two generations later, unfocused church leaders take people right back into the same compromises with sin. They go out from under the power of God right back under the oppression. We call this backsliding. Backsliding and revival is simply the cycle between losing and regaining focus on Jesus. Lose focus, backslide. Focus, revival. Focus, grasshopper. Focus. So, like churches and nations, individuals go through the exact same cycles. In Matthew chapter 14, I, I told you I wanted to say something about Peter. We find Peter walking on the water. Jesus comes walking on the sea with the storm and the waves raging and, and all this going on. And the disciples are scared. They're in the boat and they see Jesus walking out on the water. And he says, don't worry about it. Just, just be calm. Just chill out. It's me. It's me, Jesus. So Peter, when he finds out it's Jesus... In verse 28 of Matthew 14, says to him, Lord, if it's you, order me to come to you on the water. So Jesus said, come. Peter got out of the boat, walked on water, and came to Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and he became afraid, he started to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. See, when you're focused on Jesus, his supernatural power upholds you through the trying circumstances that you're walking on. Amen. Notice he was walking on the waves of those circumstances. Men aren't supposed to do that in this world. Is that not right? But what had happened, as long as he was looking at Jesus, he was back in that right chain of command. Jesus said, come. Water couldn't stop him from coming, could it? If it was air, he could have walked on air because Jesus said, come. You see, he's, he's, he's walking on the command of God. He's exercising authority over the circumstances. But when you take your focus away from Jesus to fixate on those trying circumstances, the waves and the wind and everything, then they take a hold of you and draw you under their power. Peter began to sink. You see, focus doesn't change the circumstances. It changes your authority in relation to the circumstances. The waves were still there. The wind was still there. But Jesus was still there. And so remember, when sin reordered the chain of command, it took us out from under God's authority and put us under the circumstances. But focus on Jesus reorients you to his restored chain of command. That's why when people are in prayer and they're seeking the Lord, they're reading the Bible study, just meditating on the Lord, they begin to hear God speak to them. They, they're reading in the scriptures. For example, maybe they're reading in the book of 1 Peter and they get to the second chapter and they're reading down and they get to verse 24 that says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we being Dead sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Whoa, wait a minute. You know, sometimes we read the scripture, we just read it with a kind of a religious mind. We just read all those things. But we don't really 
absorb it. But focus is when you start absorbing. And so he's, you're reading down in verse 24. He uh, died for our sins and, and was hung on the, the cross and uh, that we should live under righteousness. Ooh, what about that last phrase? By whose stripes you were healed. doesn't say you might be healed. doesn't say you will one day be healed. He uses the past tense verb in connection with the healing. And Peter writes, you were healed. You were healed. Now, some people like to argue that, well, Jesus is talking about being healed from your bad attitude or being healed from sin. But <clears throat> the healing that God brought through Christ on Calvary provided a restoration for everything A to Z that was wrong with mankind. We will eventually see the full application of that restoration in the world. But most definitely physical healing was part of that restoration. He redeemed us not just from the curse of sin, but from the consequences of the fall and all that happened to mankind because of the fall. Most definitely healing on every level is what God had in mind. So you stop your reading and you begin to do what? You focus. And you start thinking, well, if I was healed, then I am healed. And if I am healed, then what's this I'm feeling right over here, you know, under my arm or wherever that little thing is that, that's given you? And I don't want to minimize it. You know, people cherish their sufferings. They take it very personally, very personally. If somebody, you, you go out to lunch, you, can, you know that people worship their, their, their sicknesses and their pains because they go out to dinner, they pay a big money, a lot of money, you know, for a steak meal, and then sit there and talk about the gout and, and you know, the itch and the whatever, you know, whatever else is going on. And so, and if you even suggest to somebody, they're talking about, the, I went to the doctor, I got a brain scan. Doctor says, I don't have a brain. No, I went and I had a brain scan, and, I, and I've got some lump growing in there. Oh, my God, I've got a lump growing in my brain. And see, if you don't, you know, bow down in absolute terror and de deference to, oh, my God, that's it's horrible. Why do people do that? Because you're dead man walking. They hear about, the, oh, you got that condition. You're dead. Circumstances, win again. Circumstances, 175,300,000. Humans, zero. So you, you understand, we, we relate with circumstances as our master. So people go out and they'll eat. They're sitting at the table. They're talking about, but what happens to you when you're there with God and a little ray breaks through 1 Peter 2.24. By his stripes you were healed. And all of a sudden a little hope of a miracle begins to pierce through your dark vision. That can lead to focus. 
that can open the aperture of your heart, the aperture of your mind, and you could begin to see Jesus is triumphant and victorious. On the other side of this dark world that I allow to define my life, there is a light of glory that has risen up, and the Bible says I'm risen with him in the heavenly places in Christ. And let me tell you, you wouldn't be the first person that caught a vision of the work of Calvary and stood up and left cancer behind, left blindness behind, left paralysis behind. Now, people love to inject into what I'm saying right now, this, this, this proposition, theological arguments. Oh, my God, help us, Jesus. The theological argument. Well, are you saying my uncle was a mighty man of God, and he prayed every day and died of cancer anyway. Are you saying that you're better than my uncle? All of a sudden, there's all those evaluations that people make, and they throw all of that into the mix. Don't mess with that stuff. Honor the guy's uncle. Yes, your uncle was the most holy thing that walked the face of the earth. And no, I don't know why he prayed and died anyway. But you know, all I know is I read 1 Peter 2.24. And if it's not for anyone else, it's for me. People say, I don't believe that God heals everybody. Well, duh, that's kind of obvious. I don't believe that God wants to heal everybody. Well, I don't know about everybody, and I know about me. You see, I'm beginning to get a focus. I'm beginning to see that God not only loves me, but that he's drawing me through the portal of focus, and he's trying to get me into the place of authority. That's why you can believe in healing and not see healing when you pray. Because it's not enough just to believe in it. You have to let the Lord bring you into that focus. When you get into that focus so that you are entirely focused on Jesus, you will walk on water. When you hear Jesus say, come, you will come. See, he's trying to get you into that place where the word is true. Theology is just, you know, this, I go to this church, we believe in this. Believing in something does not furnish the power to fulfill it. But focus will get you there. Can you say amen? amen? Focus reorients you back to the authority that God has first placed you in. So in summary this morning and before we pray, the challenge for you is exactly the same as it was for Gideon and as it was for Peter. You know, Gideon and Peter had God's attention. Jesus was looking at Peter and said, Come. God was looking over the edge of that wine vat and said, Hail, mighty man of valor. Peter told, uh, Jesus told Peter, walk on the water. In fact, he just said, come to me. Don't worry about it. He didn't say anything about the water. He just said, come to me. The same God looked at Gideon and said, Hail, mighty man of valor. Go deliver Israel from the Midianites. Didn't talk to him about the path, the difficulties, or any of that. So God is looking at you just like he was looking at them. God is focused, and you have his attention, but does God have your attention? It's not whether God is focused on you. People think, I don't think the Lord sees me. I don't think God notices me. 
No, God is focused. He not only knows you, He not only sees you, honey, He's focused on you. He sees you better than you see yourself. It's not whether God is focused on you, but whether you are focused on Him. God is focused on your words. He hears what you're saying. You know, Gideon said, did you hear what I said? I'm from the tribe of Manasseh. Those people have never done anything. And I'm from the, the small, the, the, the poorest family in Manasseh, and I'm the youngest in the household. You can't, the only thing lower than me in that house is our dog. Did you hear that? God heard it. He heard all of that, knew all of that. So he is focused on your words, but he still believes his words more than he does yours. But are you focused on his words? Some people think God's not focused on my problem. I'm praying to get God focused on my problem. You see, your prayers do not focus God's attention on your problem. That's why people sometimes feel guilty, you know, praying for, they get their lists, you know, and they pray and they ask God for help. But, you know, God's got so many other things. They turn on the news, they see those horrible people, horrible things people are going through in Syria and places like that. I think, oh, I don't want to take God away from that. That's, that's really terrible. But trust me, God is focused on your problem. But are you focused on his answer? God wants you to make progress, young grasshopper. So focus, young grasshopper, so that you can make progress as God's mighty man or God's mighty woman of valor in the story of your life. Amen? Amen. All right, well, let's stop here. This would be a great place for us to just take a stand in our life and ask the Lord to help us with focus. Now, before we do that, let me just simply say, God has already helped us with focus. He's, given a, he's come to us. You say, he came to me? Yes, Jesus. You know, you might not be able to figure out God, but you can see Jesus. If you can see Jesus, Jesus will explain God. That is the sum of the entire theology of the New Testament. You can't figure out God, but it, you can see Jesus. And if you see Jesus, he'll explain God. So,